Ladies and gents, um, welcome back to another episode of Engineers. We've got Ben Brown here, who's the CTO of uh, an organization called Onto, uh, who are building an all-inclusive uh, EV subscription for cars. Pretty cool platform. We're going to dive into uh, a little bit more about the business, Ben's role, um, some challenges, especially on fleet management that I find massively interesting, and a couple of other areas around business and around tech. Ben, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Great to chat. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Do you want to tell us a little bit about who Onto are and and almost give us the elevator pitch to the business? Perfect. Yeah, certainly. So uh, here at Onto, we're an all-inclusive electric vehicle subscription service, uh, and our mission is to uh, change the way that people think about car car ownership. Um, now, ultimately, I think we've got a couple of pieces that come together. First of all, we offer people a, a monthly subscription to a car, which includes everything from the vehicle to insurance and servicing and maintenance. But we also throw in their public charging cards as well. So we give access to the, uh, the four largest networks, so the Teslas and Tesla chargers, but then also the BP, Shell and Instavolt networks. So ultimately, we really want to think about um, this idea that you don't really need to own this very expensive asset that sits on your drive and depreciates significantly. Actually, you can just subscribe to that on a month-by-month basis. Um, And then we really offer literally that flexibility. So within 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. You can change vehicles. And certainly, we see our most most dedicated customers really make use of our service and change vehicles a number of times throughout their subscription to... uh, make sure they're using the latest and greatest uh, cars or to try something different or perhaps they're going away on holiday and want a, a bigger vehicle for the summer. Um, and then ultimately, once you've, uh, you know, once you've finished, once you've got no more use for the car, you can give it back. So really, it is all that idea of really flexible and all-inclusive. That, that's such a unique way because I think we, we spoke about this as in changing consumer mindset is really hard. You know, we've seen it over the years with yep. Uber, black cabs or how you would ride hail essentially um changing a buying habit is really tough but i think that flexibility almost that's traditionally been there in leasing where you can grab a car that that's a pretty cool offering that you've got there yeah yeah we think so we think so i mean it's it's certainly um you know it certainly is a change for people to start thinking about this and uh, you know we certainly uh uh, have to make sure we're, we we kind of help customers to really understand our value proposition because when you include all the other items, it can look, hey, look, maybe this is more expensive than a lease. But actually, what we find is we compare ourselves to lease prices, and we're we're as uh, you know as competitive with those prices, but we also include all the added extras that we have as well. So uh, we do really think that that that, that model can work. Um, it does take people a little bit of a while to get used to, but ultimately. Yeah. The car is yours. It's you know very different to the kind of car sharing by the hour sorts of services where you never truly have. It's not your vehicle. You can never quite be sure what state it will be left in or whether it will be there at that point in time you need it. This is your vehicle. It's it's on your drive or on your street, and you can use it as and when you want. So you're literally uh, you know you literally have all the benefits of that car ownership without any of the hassles. Yeah, there's some real unique um, insurtech telematics platforms at the moment as well mm. that that I can imagine, you know, we haven't had this conversation that I can imagine you probably integrate with as well, that you can ensure by hour, by day. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, we, we're certainly starting to look at that sort of piece. I mean, um, 
we, we have hardware in our vehicles. So we actually have two pieces of hardware. We have a, uh, a black box, which um, connects to the car and allows us to do things like the uh, remote unlocking and locking from an app that we have, um, as well as uh, taking the uh, uh, kind of remote start. So they're, they're all kind of, um, you know, really interesting things we can do from that. And then we also have a dash camera in the, in the car, which allows us to, to make sure ultimately that our, uh, our drivers are safe and, you know, hopefully in the event of any, uh, any accidents to prove their innocence. So it, it really is a kind of an extra tool that we have. Uh, we have been looking at a kind of risk-based driving. I think it's a, it's quite a divisive subject. I think it's fair to say nobody likes to think that Big Brother is watching and that, that you know, potentially there's somebody there. Um, but we do, you know, we do think that it's uh, an area that could have some potential in the future. And ultimately, uh, it's in everybody's interests of our fleet that we make sure all of our drivers are, are driving safely, because ultimately that means that we uh, we can keep our prices competitive and we don't have some people yeah. spoiling it for the rest. Uh, can you give us a bit of a background into Ben Brown and mm. the, the role of CTO at on two and what that looks like for you? Yeah, certainly. So yeah, my um, I guess my my ultimate background is I started out as a uh, as a Java engineer. Um, actually, my my career started with a uh, with a graduate program at Lehman Brothers in in two thousand and seven. Uh, and for those that remember the dates, it went bankrupt in two thousand and eight. So uh, that was my uh, that was my Just interesting uh, kind of introduction Saturday. to the world. Yeah, yeah. So after a year, I was um, I was one of the people there on that fateful day when people were walking out with boxes, um, and that gave me uh, I guess a uh, a, a, a shock in terms of exactly what it means to uh, to be in working life. Um, I spent the next probably five to ten years working, uh, growing my kind of career, being an engineer for a number of years, and then moving into kind of more senior positions around kind of tech leadership and then eventually people leadership. Um, and for most of that time, I spent that in the kind of pensions and benefits uh, world. So building out a, a platform on which uh, a number of companies used to host their, their kind of pensions and benefits. Yeah. Um, that was probably where, you know, ultimately I did a lot of my my learning about leadership and learning what it means to be a true leader. And uh, that was, a, yeah, a very a, a period of big growth for me. Um, when that kind of journey came to an end, it was uh, time to try something different. I spent a couple of years working at Gusto, the recipe box startup, and uh, yep. uh, in a kind of quite similar space to where we were on to very much that kind of early phase of growth building out a team, growing a team, and kind of putting the technology processes and procedures in place. Um, and then after that, spent a couple of years working for Intuit, um, a large American software company on a product called QuickBooks, um, and leading their engineering teams for Europe. Um, now, Intuit was a very interesting company, very customer-centric. Yeah. Um, often you'll see a lot of Intuit case studies in many of the kind of books on customer-centricity, ways of getting connected to customers because they, they kind of invented a lot of these, these kind of pieces. And, and I think that yeah. taught me a lot about that, that world and how that's really important. But they were also an amazing people-centric business and they cared deeply for their employees and won lots of awards and great places to work, which I also learned a lot from as well. So ultimately, that, that gave me my grounding as to where I am today and helped me understand that um, happy employees lead to happy customers, leads to happy shareholders is the, the kind of way I've, uh, you know, way I've seen it based on the, the kind of Virgin motto. So, uh, so yeah, that leads me to where, where I am today. Uh, spent just over, uh, just over 15 months here at Onto as the, as the CTO. Yeah. Um, my remit is engineering, it's product, it's design. So it's quite a broad range as a, uh, as a CTO. Yep. When I joined the organization, we were probably in the region of about 50 to 60 people total and the, the kind of tech team 
product and design was was more like twelve. Yeah. Um, at that stage, it was was very much a uh, there was no real structure in place. We were all operating as a single team, one single stand up in a morning, and so it was now how do we take that through the growth phase and put the structures in place to mean that we can do do what we needed to do. Um, so last year, onto an amazingly successful year, we grew our fleet by about five hundred percent and kind of got up to about six thousand cars on the road. Um, and uh, uh, through that growth, we took the team from the kind of twelve people that I started with up to about fifty people that we have uh, we have today. And that that growth has been in a challenging hiring market. Some of that done via via permanent hiring, but also partnering with uh, partnering with a consultancy called And Digital that I worked with a few times before to uh, yep. to bring on board some. Uh, some consultants while we are kind of growing that growing that team. So uh, ultimately, a very exciting fifteen months and lots uh, lots has happened since then. And it does seem a very long time since uh, since I started in a very different world. Good for you. Good for you. It, it would be really good to understand the mission and what problems you are trying to solve, and the problems not necessarily that you're trying to solve. It would be really good to have that clear delineation of what you're angling for. Yeah, certainly. So the way we kind of see it is um, we're there to solve that challenge of how do, how do people have access to that vehicle yep. without needing to own it? Okay. And how do we give them, uh, in a world where I think you know, most car owners would, would probably argue that it's not a world that's kind of modernized that, that swiftly over the last 10, 15, 20 years, it's pretty archaic in some of the processes that happen. How do we make that an enjoyable and, and, and stress-free experience and take away all the hassles that you would normally have with, with that kind of car, car ownership? I think where we're, where we're, you know, ultimately where we're, I guess, where we're not there to play, we're, we're ultimately, we're partner with a number of car manufacturers to buy their vehicles. So we're, we're not a car manufacturer. We don't build our own vehicles. We're not kind of in it for, for kind of creating that piece. Um, and ultimately, we're, th- we're not there to, um, I guess, replace other forms of, of kind of using cars. So we're not a, uh, a car rental company. We're, we're not interested in, in people wanting five or 10 days in a vehicle. We're interested in that kind of 30 days plus. Um, and, um, you know, we do believe that, we're, that we provide a credible alternative to, to those longer term leases, but with far more flexibility. So we do think that we're there to, to kind of take more of that market away from uh, away from those kind of standard leases. So uh, yeah, some very exciting challenges to to kind of address in those areas, but um, ultimately something that will be uh, a, a very much a growing industry. And as I said earlier, 500% growth in the kind of fleet we had last year in a kind of challenging market with not all the access to vehicles was, uh, was kind of great proof of that. What, what does that customer journey look like? Is it... Uh, on and on to platform and then essentially you're invited into a showroom where you can look at different pricing different models of cars and you just pick and choose mm. so yeah so the the journey really is i, I guess a you know a, a very i guess it's a hybrid of sort of an e-commerce and a subscription journey fine so really you're you're online you're going through you can browse all of our vehicles um ultimately you know, not being able to see a vehicle in, in, in kind of physical form is one of the challenges we have to kind of get over. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we help people to understand what this vehicle is going to look like, how it's going to fit their stuff in, how it's going to fit on their drive are all kind of customers' concerns, I guess, when they're, when they're getting a vehicle. 
Um, now we like to think that one of the ways we can we can manage that that kind of anxiety that comes with that is is the fact that we don't have the major commitment. So ultimately, yeah. if it doesn't turn out to be the right thing for you, thirty days later you can give it us back. Um, yeah. We then, you know, that, that journey is very much all online. It's then about um, proving you are who you are. So uploading your driving license and a selfie to do a, an identity check. Um, you know, we can then kind of ensure that you, we, we can ensure you on our vehicles, provide you with your, your details and then book a, a book a delivery. The car will then on the day of your delivery, turn up on the doorstep. Um, it will be clean. It will be charged. It will be uh, explained to you by your delivery driver. And then ultimately, that car is yours. You can uh, you can use that as you would your uh, your normal car. Um, and then uh, yeah, you get all the fun of uh, of kind of learning how to drive an EV if you've never done that before. And uh, that is uh, that is certainly something that I'd recommend for anybody who hasn't tried it. That that's a real slick authentication process, isn't it? Yeah. The, the it, selfie. It I love how we call it a selfie as well. Um, yep. A selfie driving license. You know, that that's very modern, obviously, in our banking apps you yep. know, that we see nowadays. But that that's a great process. I think that's that's so frictionless, I think, to be able to onboard customers and yep. obviously quite a good customer journey as well. Yeah. And we feel it has to be. It comes with that simplicity of the service. If, if, if we, you know, we can't make this car ownership yeah. really easy. If we yeah. don't allow people to sign up really quickly to get on board and, and kind of do that really simply as well, so it is, you know, it is part of that desire. And uh, I think we we really do see that as the kind of, I guess, the direction of travel for all of the different processes that are involved. When you go in for a service, when your car needs to be repaired, when you have uh, an insurance claim, all of those pieces need to be as kind of stress free and as easy as as that process. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, some of them that are there today and others we're, we're kind of working hard to get in place over there, you know, to make sure that that kind of happens in the product. Yeah. Well, in the past, we've had really similar conversations with Dot on the podcast uh, around their fleet management and some of the challenges that they've had in terms of obviously the physical aspect of their own scooter or their bike and the software that they're building it'd be really good to understand high level some of your engineering challenges and, and what they might look like if they are around fleet management. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think the, the great thing about what I found onto is actually we have a broad range of, of challenges. So it goes from what we've just talked about previously, which is the kind of consumer challenges. How do we how do we yeah. essentially solve that e-commerce and that subscription experience that, yeah. that you know any other e-commerce or subscription brand has to, to kind of solve? And that's everything from the, the kind of sign up process and that that kind of joining process, but it's yeah. also things like managing your account. It's the cancellation process that goes behind that. Yeah. So it's all the, the kind of standard pieces that we would expect to see in a totally new market where ultimately we don't have data on what works really well because we're you know one of the first companies doing this and there isn't kind of like great precedence in that area. Then the second great area we have is is certainly around our operational systems. So. As a physical asset-based company, um, ultimately we buy all of our vehicles. So we buy, you know, we buy them with kind of large amounts of debt, and then we take them on board for a period of time, and then we sell them back to uh, to kind of uh, secondhand through auctions, so that people can kind of um, sell those through dealers and and, and directly yeah. to consumers. So we, you know, as these physical assets are expensive assets, um, our cars go up to seventy to eighty thousand pounds, kind of RRP. So they're they're not cheap assets. 
we need to be making sure that we're not losing these assets, that we've always got full visibility of them. We always know where they are. We always know whether they're being used or not. And yeah. so that does put, I guess, a, a great level of rigor needed in those kind of operational systems that we uh, that we have in place. Um, so with yeah, those that amount of cars driving around and that amount of money on the road, it really does reinforce that. It also creates, you know, I've I've been lucky enough to work for a couple of physical product companies uh, in my career, and that also yeah. creates another level of of interest I feel for the for the role because uh, um, digital products, if something goes wrong. Yes, you need to go back to the customer and explain it, but generally you can just fix the data, just make it yeah. right and everything's okay. Um, with a physical product, if we don't deliver that car on the day that it was supposed to be delivered, there's absolutely no way we can recover from that. We have to have to say to the customer, well, we'll bring your car tomorrow instead. So really getting that that kind of user experience right in the physical yeah. world does create an extra set of challenges. And uh, I've, I've really relished those and really enjoyed those. Love it. The the interesting part is because you're a new business, you've been there 15 months, you may or may not be having these conversations yet, but you don't have the data already. Are, are there any signals that you're looking out for as a business that you're able to share with us that you think might be really useful for you in a one, two, three year journey, whether it's about consumer habits, whether it's about technology or the physical fleet it'd be really good to uncover what some of those data points might be that you're looking at internally sure yeah no problem um so i think i think one area that, that i will touch on before i jump into more detail is I, I, obviously the last couple of years have been a rather strange time for, for most businesses and so i think one of the you know one of the real challenges we have is is kind of forecasting and predicting based on past behavior which is ultimately mm. the the last two years with lockdowns and with uh, all the fun that COVID brought along to all the different, uh, you know, different aspects of our business, it really does make it quite hard to kind of forecast or predict based on that. So one of the things that we are starting to see is, um, uh, you know, indicators of behavior that our customers are, I guess, more involved in our service. They get it. They want to retain for longer are things like customers who love to swap. Yeah. So we certainly see that our customers who swap vehicles are the ones who tend to, to retain longer. They're ones who really understand the business model. Yeah. Um, they're the ones who really get the value from being able to, to kind of change their cars at, at kind of very short notice. Um, so that's certainly one of the signals that we're, that we're kind of looking at and working through. I think it's also, um, you know, we're in a world of um, EVs are a relatively new technology. Yeah, um, we're going through that transition to EVs, and so we, you know, we do see a proportion of our, our kind of customer base who try us, and then, if you like, realize that an EV is not going to work for them at this moment yeah. in time. Yeah. So I think one of the one of the areas we know we have to work hard on over the next few years is how can we can we help with that transition? Okay. How can we get people through that that move to a to a different way of of, of thinking about a car and you know the, the main piece here that's probably different is charging the vehicle yeah. um there's not many you know driving the vehicle itself is not that much different but actually the charging yeah. is the piece that people kind of take a while to get their heads around um once they've got once they've understood that once they've kind of got over some of the range anxiety that comes with with uh, uh you know perhaps the early adopters is oh, okay now I know I can get to where I want to get to. It then starts to become more enjoyable and they start to realize some of the benefits. Like my EV is sat on my drive at the moment. It can be charging. 
I never had that benefit with a petrol station. I always had to drive to the petrol station and, and top it up. So there are kind of positive aspects that come from that transition as well. Yeah. Uh, hybrids, I can imagine, uh, are an attractive thing because you've got the best mm. of both worlds as well. I think that's that's one argument. I've also heard strong arguments to say you've got the worst of both because you're also carrying around two engines. Okay. <laughs> Fair know, motor, engine, batteries, heaviness, you don't get the best of both worlds. But it, but you can understand why you can understand why customers would see that as a as a stop, you know, as kind of a halfway measure to get you into into, into EVs. We've we've personally, you know, we we're very committed to sticking on the EV only route. So it isn't, you know, yeah. it isn't something that we've ever we've ever considered on. Not necessarily about um EV consumer habits, mm. but EV market generally, what have you learned over the last 15 months? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think clearly we can see that, that if you just look at the kind of percentage of, of new car sales that come from battery electric vehicles, it is going up significantly now. We're really starting to tip over that. You know, we're past, well past that early adopter stage in the, yeah. in the kind of curve and, and really getting into the kind of mainstream now. Um, as a you know, as a driver myself, I I do recognise that the charging infrastructure is getting better all the time, and that that's probably the the thing that that we hear is the biggest feedback around why people may have a challenge with a with an EV. Yeah. Um, most people you know love driving an EV once they get into it. The the ability to just put your foot down and go. The the kind of um, my little kind of city car is driving an E208 when I lived in London, and that's a brilliant little city car to jump out of junctions to be able to nip around. It's it's really really is quite a good uh, quite a good drive. So people love those aspects to it. Um, the challenge perhaps comes from hey, how do I yeah how do I make this transition in my life? How do I think about charging at different different points in time? And you're going to scale the business you know we've we've spoken about that and there's there's probably possibilities for multi countries what does that mean for you in terms of a physical fleet what does that mean for you in terms of technology mm. yeah so i think both of them both of them have definite definite consequences so yeah we we're definitely going to be expanding um we've uh, already talked a little bit openly on on social media around our kind of desires to go into uh, into new countries. Um, in terms of the vehicles itself, um, actually, it's it's probably more similar than different. Um, yeah. The way that car manufacturers are structured means that we're probably buying from a different team, so the team in France or Germany or Spain, instead of the team in the UK. But ultimately, yeah. we're still buying similar cars, um, similar trim levels that are coming with those cars. From a technology perspective, what we're really looking at is how do we how do we create a global platform that allows us to scale into any market that we want to go into, and really then enable or turn off features that that, that are relevant for those markets based on those particular markets. And you know, a good example of this would be things like payment methods. Um, so a you know, if in a European country where um, such as Germany, where the the kind of uh, Credit cards don't have the same level of penetration as somewhere like the UK. Yeah. Offering a, a kind of SEPA direct debit or, or that sort of payment method may be something we turn on for that market. But ultimately, we do believe that um, if we look at it as a whole product, there's a, 
I don't know, 95 to 98% similar across markets and, and, and small differences between those, those markets, which tend to be legislative, um, yeah, currency and kind of financial regulations. Um, but ultimately, we can create a product that's similar across those markets. Having said that, when we do go into our markets, we're really going to have to learn how that kind of lands. Will people really listen to the same messages as we say in the UK? Or are we going to have to really think about how we how we kind of put that product out there and how we kind of really do attract people in those in those different markets? Because it's fair to say, you know, every country has its cultural norms and its ways of thinking. And I'm sure they will change when it comes to uh, comes to how we kind of present that product and the kind of marketing that we use to do that. Yeah, I was going to say they're probably going to be a whole load of data points in themselves that you'll probably have to learn, look at, assess, and try and make sense of. Mm. Um, I can imagine the reproducibility of um, some of the software and a lot of the services that you've built from country to country won't be any different, but you touch on the Germany part, you obviously you know, know the the ecosystem better than I do, but it makes quite a lot of sense. As in, there'll yeah. probably be a couple of tweaks. Payment methods make sense. Maybe yeah. authentication makes sense. Customer journey will probably be localized in terms of language and other things. But I can imagine yeah. everything else behind that is probably quite similar. Yeah, and, and and it's fair to say that you know, even though even though the actual partners we may work with to do things in certain markets, so because yeah. we um, you know because we buy cars from manufacturers, they are if you like inflated in certain locations by different providers, it might be slightly different providers that we use to do that, but the process is generally the same. And so we are, we are looking at how we can, we can really scale that up with, with the kind of commonalities across the markets. Um, you know, a number of our, our kind of senior people have, have had the experiences in the automotive markets. A number of people are from X Hertz and, and places like that. Okay. Um, and so they really do get the, the differences in the markets, why it should be challenging um, things that I'd never understood about the automotive market, such as um, in Germany in winter, people have to put winter tires on their car. And that's that's not a thing in the UK. Perhaps if it was, we wouldn't have the trouble when it snows for the three days a year. But in, awesome. uh, yeah, in Germany, you have to put the winter tires on. Then you have to store your, t- your summer tires somewhere else. And then in summer, put them back on again. So it's a kind of nuances like that that really make you think, how do we build a platform that can really kind of support all those different nuances in each market? That makes sense. Okay. Business is going to grow. And obviously, we give everyone on the podcast an opportunity to talk about where the business will be hiring, whether it's product engineering or wherever else. Mm. Where do you think your teams will grow? And what do you think you'll be looking for? And maybe challenges in those teams, it'd be really good to understand. And maybe some of the nuances around those roles as in, are they remote based or are they specific location based before yep. we wrap up? That'd be awesome to try and understand. Mm, yeah, sure. So, uh, so yeah, definitely uh, hiring um, at as fast as we possibly can at the moment. Obviously I think we all know it's a tough market. There's a, there's a lot of challenges, um, but hiring really across lots of different roles. So definitely engineering product design, our data kind of teams are hiring and growing. Just brought on board a, a new head of data, Erica Harrington, in the past couple of weeks, and a new head of design, Joe Shaffrey. So really, those teams are kind of looking to, to build out now. Um, we've got uh, roles in our kind of platform teams as well, our underlying application platform teams, building out the platform on top of which other teams are, are building. Yeah. 
And we're also looking to kind of start the uh, uh, the push into things like data science this year. So it's been fair to say my my first 15 months has been about us getting a data platform in place that has the amount of data we need, the kind of suitability. It starts to pull that into one place. And now we can start nice. to think about how we might get some insight and some data data science that will come from uh, come from that with some very exciting problems in in that particular area. So very much actively hiring all round. Um, anybody who is interested, please take a look at our, uh, our kind of careers page and uh, you'll find all the roles on there. Um, and uh, yeah, we'd love to we'd love to hear from you if you're if you're excited by the uh, by the solving some problems that nobody else has solved. Um, I like to think of it as we're at that stage now where uh, it's kind of Netflix in the early days. Nobody had solved kind of how do we how do we allow people to see content online? We're doing the same thing with kind of vehicle subscriptions. How do we do that? Come and get in there early because there's lots of opportunities to get in the team and, and grow as our team grows. So uh, and outside tech, we're still hiring lots of other areas as well. It might not be uh, might not be the exact audience of this podcast, but our operations teams, our finance teams, our people teams, all kind of growing as we uh, as we scale as well. So please do uh, please do check out the careers page, and we'd love to uh, love to talk to you. Do stacks matter at all, as in tech stacks, and what you're um, for? I mean, we have we have a, we certainly have a tech stack around Python and, and kind of React in the front end, and then kind of AWS and Terraform yeah. for our for our platforms. Although, if you're really interested and, and keen to learn, we'd love to we'd love to hear from you because uh, I think it's uh, uh, it's far more important to be a problem solver than it is to kind of know exact exact skills and languages. So please do please do reach out if that interests you. Come back to your earlier questions around things. We're we're currently a kind of a hybrid role, um, but I'd say it's it's on the end of hybrid, closer to remote working. Uh, I'm very passionate that the teams have shown remote working can work really well, and actually they've been doing great things over the last couple of years. So let's not force everybody back to the office for a number of days. I, I do feel like kind of arbitrary limits on that would be w- wouldn't really be in the spirit of kind of treating people fairly and treating them as as adults. So. We tend to ask the teams to, to kind of work out between themselves how they're going to work together. That tends to work out about one day a week or one day every two weeks. They come together um, and then learn what, what the office is good for because the office is good for lots of things. I'm in, I'm in our London office near King's Cross today, and it's been great to see people face-to-face. It was great to do a few yeah. one-to-ones face-to-face. It's been great to do things like retrospectives face-to-face. But it's also fair yeah. to say that coding as an engineer is probably not the best thing done in an office environment where they'd probably just be sat on, you know, sat up with the headphones on as well. So Spot on. let's not, let's not force people to do that. Spot on. Uh, a mix. I think is fair. Uh, I, I love the ambition. I, I can see, uh, I can see it's a lofty goal and so it should be, you know, I, I think, uh, I think it's an unbelievable business model that, that hopefully people will open their eyes up to and see, EV subscription model, great. Let's hope it can drive a little bit more traffic to you. Perfect, sounds great. And uh, and of course, you know, big shout out to you. Thanks for coming on and and joining us and talking to us a little bit about what you're building and sharing some of the challenges. We we no, massively no. appreciate it. Cool. Well, thank you, Ellie. It's been uh, it's been great to talk, and yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you see how passionate we are about the problems we've got to solve because there's uh, some absolutely amazing problems we that we have there, and uh, yeah, we'd love to get there on that journey over the next few years. So, thanks for uh, thanks for chatting today. We will, and and everyone else listening, like, shares, subscribes, and all of that fun jazz is always always massively appreciated. Tell your friends, show your friends these guys and girls. And we'll see you all soon.
Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.